Let's open up the Bible, 2 Corinthians 12, uh, and I'll read through the passage, and then I'll introduce us. I must go on boasting, says Paul. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body. I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I will not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think of me more than he sees in me and hears from me. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. Father, would you speak to us this morning about your power working in us even and especially in our weakness. By your spirit with us this morning, would you open our hearts to receive from you, teach us more about you and draw us closer into fellowship with you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Um, so my name is Luke, I'm one of the elders of Life Church, um, And this morning we are in our fifth out of six sermons looking at the Holy Spirit. Uh, now, this morning, we're looking at this passage in 2 Corinthians 12, where the Holy Spirit, you may have noticed, isn't explicitly mentioned. However, I think this is a very important passage to look at. Why? Well, firstly, 2 Corinthians, and actually both Paul's letters to the church in Corinth, they're full of teaching about the Holy Spirit, understanding the Holy Spirit correctly. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the gifts in the first letter to Corinthians. But secondly, I think this passage is really important in our understanding of the Spirit of God, even though the Holy Spirit is not explicitly mentioned, because Paul is teaching here about the power of God and how the power of God and weakness are things that in Christ come together. And so this passage, I think, is key to our understanding of the work of God in our lives. And the work of God in our lives is, of course, done by the Holy Spirit. And so I hope that we'll see that although you and I might often think of weakness and power as two opposite ends of a spectrum, that actually in Christ, power and weakness come together in a powerful, powerful way. So why don't we go through the passage bit by bit. Let's start again in verse one. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Paul finds himself addressing uh, the church in Corinth who are easily distracted by impressive people. 
The Christians in this city were easily distracted by impressive people. We see that in the first letter to Corinth. In the opening chapter, Paul is saying, why do you run after certain super people? You say, oh, I follow this apostle, I follow this apostle. Paul says, the apostles are great, but why are you running after individuals? It's Jesus you should be following. Now here in the second letter that we're looking at today, Paul essentially spends the whole letter coming to them again and again saying, why are you being distracted by these so-called super apostles who are false apostles, they're, they're no servants of God at all. Why are you being distracted from them, by them, sorry, just because they're impressive in speech? They, they look like they're the kind of guys you want to follow. He said, no, stop being distracted. And so he spends two Corinthians laying out the contrast between false leadership false apostleship, false authority, and true apostleship. His apostleship from God. And Paul says, even though there are these people in the church in Corinth who outwardly are very impressive, outwardly they, they know how to say the things that make you think, wow, they, they seem super spiritual. They seem like the person I want to follow. Paul says, no, 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 be very wary of the outwardly impressive those who flaunt their spiritual experiences and their spiritual CV as kind of the reason you should follow them. Why? Is it because God's power is a bad thing? No, of course it's not. But because Paul knows that outwardly impressive people, people who lean on a showiness, they've completely misunderstood what power from God looks like. And so the church in Corinth were looking for the power of God. But Paul says, oh, You've settled for the power of men. Why do we run after impressive things, I wonder? The Corinthian church did it then, but we do it now, don't we? We live in an entertainment culture. I remember my, my good friend from school, he texts me about how he's trying to get his screen time on his phone under two hours a day. That's a lot of time on a phone, but I wonder if you looked at yours, how much you'd spend on it. We live in a culture that always wants to be impressed, always wants to be entertained. We hate boredom. But actually, I think most of us look for impressive things because if we really had to admit it, more often than not, it's fear that drives us to distraction. It's fear that leads us to try and find people to settle us. The world is a disorienting place, isn't it? It's constantly changing. The values of the world we live in are changing faster than ever. The pressures on our lives, especially as followers of Jesus, seem to be taking on new and different dimensions. Life is painful, challenging, often disappointing. And many of us, when faced with our own vulnerability, our own weakness, we're deeply afraid. And so we look wherever we can for shelter from that fear. Let's keep reading. Verse 2. I know a man who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. 
Paul's opponents, they've been going around, and it seems when you read between the lines, they've been going around, they've been showing off their spiritual credentials. We're super spiritual people. We're impressive. You can't really question us because we're exceptional. We're closer to God. We've experienced things you'll never experience. So we're leaders and you're followers. The, the, the false apostles were going around with this kind of rhetoric and saying that their spiritual experience was their mark of authority. But the whole point of our passage this morning is Paul was warning the Corinthians that their criterion for spiritual authority must not be how impressive someone looks, even with regards to their so-called spirituality. Now look carefully, Paul doesn't dismiss the experience of God working in our life and power. Actually, he spends the first five verses, what we just read, talking about his own experience. It's a bit odd, he speaks in the third person, but he speaks of his own experience of revelation from God where he saw wonderful mysteries that God revealed to him. But he does it in the third person because he wants to affirm, yes, it's a good thing. It brought me encouragement. I still remember it 14 years later. It brought joy to me. But at the same time, he wants to distance himself in a respect from those experiences to say, I don't find my authority in those things. I'm not coming to you saying, because I have powerful experiences from God, you should listen to me. And so he, he walks a clever dance of saying, they're good, but they're not our foundation for ministry. Now we're going to come back to understanding fear and vulnerability, weakness, that's really the heart of this passage. But I think it would be remiss to not talk about spiritual authority, because that's the context of this passage. Authority is a difficult word in our culture. We live in an age where authority and leadership, both within the church and outside of the church, it's mistrusted, it's scrutinized more than ever. And if we're honest, often quite justifiably so. Many of us in this room will have experienced authority misused and abused, even in the church. Whether manipulation or deception, or fear, were treated as acceptable means to a justified end, whether positions of office were used for personal gain, in status, or in money. There are many instances where those of us in the room, directly or indirectly, would have seen the misuse and abuse of power, even within the church. And these leaders in Corinth, these false apostles, these super apostles, that's what they were doing. They were impressing people to forward their own agenda, to get what they wanted, to have the prestige and, and the money. You read that somewhere else in 2 Corinthians. They were getting paid quite a lot by the church for their speeches. And so we find ourselves in this 21st century, this modern Western British context, where for our society, positions of authority by default, outside the church, but actually, if we're honest, within the church too, are presumed to be suspect until proven innocent, untrustworthy, out for themselves. Wolves in sheep's clothing. Our society says authority at its kindness, at, at its kindest, authority should maybe be avoided. At its harshest, authority is plain evil. We live in an age of fear, and where the Corinthian church would have ran to authority, impressive looking people to find security, we live in an age where we run from it. Where we say, actually, no, it, authority itself is dangerous. And we do that in the name of protecting ourselves. And as I said, quite understandably so in many instances. So what are we meant to do as Christians? 
Do we accept what the world tells us, that authority is wrong, that it's bad? Maybe not fully bad, but humans are so untrustworthy that authority in the hands of any individual must be bad. Is that what we just concede? Or do we look at passages like this and do we say, surely there's a better way? Surely the authority that we see in the New Testament, as we see most chiefly in Christ himself, shows us that authority when used as Christ did is nothing like this abusive authority we see in our world, even in our churches at times. But it's something beautiful. What is the mark of true power in the kingdom of God? Where true, good, healthy, godly spiritual authority, authority of the Holy Spirit, where is that found? It's not in displays of strength. But it's in acceptance and recognition of weakness. That's what I believe Paul shows us in this passage. That's what I believe we will see. Because when we are weak, there Christ is strong. Verse 6 says, Though if I wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me and hears from me. So how do we recover healthy use of spiritual authority? We'll talk We'll talk about weakness in general, how, how that comes together in the gospel, power and weakness. But how do we recover a healthy sense of authority in the church? Because we have to do something. We can't just say, oh, we'll be fine. No, we have to reassess the whole time. And Paul, I think, in this verse makes a wonderful point, really important point, if you let yourself see it. Measure a person, he says, not by the persona they project, but by the life they live. Know the person you trust. Because it's easy to appear spiritual, isn't it? We live in the Instagram age. Through social media, we can project any life we want to on the world. This is what my life looks like. My perfect family, my successful career, my, my hobbies coming through my ears. We can project any life that we want to. And actually, this was just as true in Corinth. They didn't have TikTok. But if you don't know someone's personal life, you can project whatever public life you want. If you don't know someone personally, they can just appear to be whoever they tell you they are. Maybe it's not true. Uh, But Paul says he doesn't doesn't boast about these impressive visions and, and amazing revelations. What's the reason? Well, the main reason is because they themselves are not the mark of true spiritual authority. You can't judge integrity of character on profound spiritual experiences. Are they good? Yeah, they're wonderful. They're gifts from God but they're not the anchor of authority. That's why he doesn't boast in these things about the visions, about the spiritual encounters. He's had them, but he doesn't boast in them because biblical leadership is visible, is accountable, is transparent. Leaders of the church must be leaders among the church, not over the church. They have to be known. That's why you see the Apostle Paul again and again in his letters. He doesn't just say, do this, do that. He says, look at my life. Imitate me is a phrase he uses multiple times. Look at my life. I'm not a hypocrite. This is me through and through. You might not like it, but it's me through and through. I'm trying to live like Christ. And that's why we need to be careful in an age of YouTube and television channels about Christian things in the age of the podcast What do we know about these people who we're receiving teaching from? 
Does it mean it's bad? No, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying we need to be careful because true authority comes through integrity, authenticity. That's biblical authority. I don't see any other way in the scriptures that you can lead. It's one of the lovely things. There's a family of churches, um, relational mission. We're, we're a small family of churches. Um, I don't know how many churches we are together now, 60 or 70, I think. Uh, but we have on uh, our website a list of kind of things that we really hold on to as precious as a church. And one of the leadership values is this. Leadership uh, value, you can find it on uh, the website, relationalmission.org. Um, but this is a servant-heartedness. Christian leaders, um, the little website says, in its essence, Christian leadership in its essence is a call to be an example, not an exception. Following the example of Jesus, Christian leaders are meant to serve one another, not be served. Christian leadership should be godly, transparent and accessible. Christian leadership exists to multiply mission, not monopolize it. Christian leadership ought to seek partnership and collaboration with others, uh, with other gospel-shaped leaders, rather than demonstrate isolation and individualism. I love it. It's just a little summary. It's not a perfect summary, but, but that is so important that Christian leaders' biblical-shaped leadership looks like servant leadership. My friends, you know that life church is not my job, don't you? It's my church. This is my family. This is where I'm raising my daughter. This is where I worship on Sundays. As elders of the church, the four of us, I'll be the first to say we're not enormously impressive. <laughs> we get decisions wrong. We're learning as we go. We're not entirely sure always of the right way forwards. But my friends, you know us. You know us. You see how I speak to my wife. You see how Sam treats his children. You see how Paul reacts when things go a bit pear-shaped on a Sunday. You see how Phil speaks to visitors and friends. This is important because true spiritual authority is not imposed. It's not top-down pushed onto one. It's grown. In a relationship of trust, it emerges. And so to be known... It's a safe context for authority. It can't be presumed and it doesn't happen overnight. But that is the context because authenticity is the safe context for true spiritual authority. But Paul says authenticity is only the window through which we see something even more important. Weakness. Not just for leaders, for all of us. Because as we're going to see, it's by knowing our own weakness, coming to God and accepting it, that we see Christ work powerfully. That is the most important mark of leadership and central to the life of every believer. So let's keep going as we read verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul talks about these visions 
That's what all these super spiritual false apostles were talking about the whole time. They're spiritual, they're spiritual. He said, I've had them too, but I don't boast about that. But let me boast about something else. I actually am afflicted. There's a thorn in my flesh. Now, we don't know exactly what that was. We don't quite know uh, whether that was a physical issue he was having, whether he was referring to something else. And people over the last 2,000 years have had fun trying to debate that. I think we have to be open to the possibility that this was a physical condition he had. What we see actually in Galatians chapter 4, Paul speaks about his issue with his eyes. Paul was not a superhuman. He was someone with frailty. He walks with weakness in many ways. But whatever this thorn was, we don't, we don't know, but whatever it was, it seems to be something the Corinthian church knew about. It seems to be that Paul is mentioning, mentioning it here because his opponents were using it against him. Paul's pathetic, isn't he? You, you, you think Paul's impressed? No, he's pathetic. Look at him, he's weak. He, he can't even, you know, we're healthy. We're strong. Look at Paul. So it was used against him, but Paul refers to it here. And rather than shying away from his weakness, rather than underplaying it, rather than saying, well, I've got strength too. No, Paul even, uh, what's the word? He, he magnifies it. He shows it more clearly. He demonstrates it in front of them. Yeah, I am weak. I am weak. Why does he do that? Because he has learned that even and especially through his weakness, God has shown his strength. For many of us, weakness and suffering are the very things we are afraid of. And we avoid them. We avoid them at all costs. But God wants us to see, even in the midst of suffering, he can be there in wonderful grace and incredible strength. Now, just to be clear, suffering and sickness, they're a result of the damage of sin and evil to this world. We don't pursue suffering. We don't try and suffer. No, there's a day coming where all these, all these wrongs will be made right, where suffering will be undone. Wonderful. Hallelujah. That is a wonderful thing. And Paul, even in this passage, calls the thorn a messenger of Satan because suffering is the result of the corruption of the good things that God has made. But we mustn't go further. We mustn't go further and say to suffer is wrong. In this life, to suffer is in itself wrong and should be avoided at all costs. Now, I don't think that's right. Actually, think about this. Our culture says that. Sometimes we get super spiritual about this ourselves and we say, oh, uh, life is hard, therefore it must not be the will of God. And we believe the lie that if life is getting tricky, we've got to abort mission and do something else. But we've got to hear, is that from God or is that from our culture? Because our culture prizes comfort above most things. It says that easy life is a good life. Suffering is to be avoided. And I would say, when I look at the New Testament, when I look at the early church, they suffered terribly. Life was hard. And when I look at my Lord, he suffered terribly. No, we don't go seeking after it. I'm not saying that. But it's part of life. It's part of the walk we live. When you follow a crucified Messiah, we walk through death with him that we might know life, resurrection, life too. And so we have to hold these things in tension. Satan wants to come and kill and steal and destroy. That's true. But God works all things together for good. And so like Joseph at the end of Genesis, we have to say, like he said to his brothers, though you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. We have to hold it in tension, but we mustn't avoid it like the plague. Oh, I'll do anything I can not to suffer. No, I think that's the wrong attitude. 
Just to be clear, again, when I say weakness, and when Paul says weakness here, he does not mean sinfulness. He's about to say, I boast in my weakness, but he doesn't boast in sinfulness. No, sinfulness isn't something that we celebrate. Does God extend grace to us in sinfulness? Yes, he does, hallelujah. He's merciful, but Christ saved us out of sinfulness. He died so that we were no longer in bondage to our sin. We don't have to live in it anymore. So no, that's not what weakness means here. Paul's not going around saying, I'm a terrible person, praise God. He's not doing that. So what does he mean by weakness? Well, I think one of the things is physical weakness. My dear friends, we live with frailty in our bodies. Some of you know that. As you get older, your bodies are more and more limited. Some of you have walked through short and some of you chronic seasons of illness, seasons of depression, seasons of frailty. Even the youngest and most spry among us, you're limited. You only have a certain number of hours in the day. You get tired when you push yourself too far. Our bodies are frail. They're weak. It's not just physical weakness, though, that Paul is talking about here. Weakness is bigger than that. Weakness is also the suffering for following Jesus. The suffering for stepping out for Jesus and saying, no, I take him at his word and I live for his kingdom, not my own. And recognizing that Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you too. To step out for Jesus means opening up yourself to attack of one kind or another and not retaliating. You can go back to our 1 Peter series if you want to think about that a bit more. But, but that is part of weakness too, that we do experience persecution. But also weakness is just living day to day in this broken world. A world where money is often tight, where jobs end abruptly, where friends let us down, where children die when wars rage. And yet Paul in weakness can say, actually, I even thank God, I boast about this. I find joy in it. Why? Because when I am weak, I find strength in him. I even boast in weakness because it is there that God says, my grace is enough for you. My friends, this isn't a defeatist gospel. Paul isn't saying here at all that, look, life's rubbish. You're just going to be miserable until you die and then go to glory. That's not what Paul's saying here. Paul is saying the life of following Jesus is a life of power, incredible power. But it's not yours. It's his. You will know the power of God, but you will often find that most clearly demonstrated when you are at your weakest. This is the incredible life of following Jesus the power of God made clear in our frailty, our limitations, our struggles, and our weakness. And so we boast. When we're weak, he is truly strong. Let's keep reading. Verse 9. We'll read this one again, verse 9 again. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, 
insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If you want to see the full definition of what Paul means by weakness, read the whole letter to 2 Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians. You see again and again, Paul talking about a suffering he experienced, weakness he was walking through. It's an amazing, essentially, theology of suffering. And so I do encourage you, go away and look at that. But my friends, I wonder, are many of us afraid precisely because we're weak? I think we are. I think I feel that. The world is scary. I think of how little I can do about it. I think about how much need there is, how much, uh, how much pain there is, how little hope there is. And yet Paul says it is precisely in these moments when we realise our weakness that we most clearly see that Christ is strong. It's in the depth of our grief that Christ meets us as the one who entered death but also broke through it. As our bodies fail, we meet with Christ who took on our flesh himself and experienced our frailty, but points ahead to a new age where all of that will be undone. When we see our families or even our nations spiraling out of control, we look to a king who does reign and will reign forever and put all things right. And even in the decline of the church across our nation and even closer to home, we hold on to Christ who knows us as a church family, who loves us as a church family and who says, I will not let one of my sheep be lost. He cares for us. My friends, it is in the unanswered questions that he holds us fast. It is when we are at our limit, when we are tired, it is when we are worn out and done that we see Christ displayed as powerful. It is in weakness we see the strength of God. Because when our own strength is stripped away and at its end, we realise he was all we ever had anyway. It is in weakness we see him work mightily. It never ceases to surprise me that some of my friends who are most stepping out for prayers of healing, seeing many people physically healed, to themselves people who either in their own bodies or in their own families see unanswered prayer or chronic illness. Now, I don't understand that fully. There's a mystery in that, but there is a sense that it's in weakness that we say, no, I still believe Christ is strong. I still take him at his word that he will do mighty things. This is not a defeatist gospel. This is just admitting that it's not us. It's him. It's him. My friends, it's vulnerable to trust God. It's vulnerable to trust others, to try again, to believe again, to hope for more. It's vulnerable to stand for something, to believe in something, to stand up for others. My friends, it's vulnerable to follow Jesus. But in that vulnerability, we find power, his power. The words of God were, my grace is enough for you. We're going to respond I think God is wanting to just meet with a few of us. But let me end on this. Jesus doesn't just come through for us in times of weakness. He leads us there. Now, it was a messenger of Satan that brought the thorn in the flesh. But he asked God three times and God says, I know what I'm doing. My grace is enough for you. Some of you this morning need to hear that you can't run anymore. Come back to him. He wants to show you his grace. It's not his power is sufficient for you, though that's true. It's not that his power is enough. It's his grace is enough. His kindness for you is enough. 
His love for you is enough. He knows you. He knows the unanswered questions. He knows the moments of of wondering why. He knows the situations you are in. It's not his power that he says is enough, though it is. Though it is, it's his grace which is enough for you. And his power is then made perfect as we admit and give up our weaknesses to him, confess them to him, show them to him. And so my friends, some of you need to know, stop running. He wants to show his grace to you. He wants to pour out his love. And why didn't the band um, come back up? We're going to respond um, together. Uh, If you'd like to, no one ever has to, but why don't we stand together? That helps me uh, to engage with God in prayer. If you're able to, why don't we stand? And for some of us, actually, it's just the fear that I've been talking about. The reality of our vulnerability that leads us to a place of saying, actually, there is a terrifying reality that I don't know what I'm doing and I am no longer in control. And God is just putting his finger on that for some of you. Now, if you'd like to, again, this helps me. No one has to do it. Um, I just uh, don't get distracted by others, especially because we're opposite. So I like to close my eyes. And if, you've, if you're receiving from God, I just like to have a posture of receiving from him. And um, that's different for different people. I put out my hands. But if God is speaking to you in this moment, don't hold back. Definitely not because of embarrassment and please not because of fear. God wants to speak to you. For others of you, some of you it's fear. For others of you, it's that open wound of authority, even spiritual authority, being misused and thorns that still remain that Jesus himself, no one else, Jesus himself wants to remove and begin to heal. And so I would just open, open yourself up to God now and let him speak. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. Three times that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, would you even now just be ministering to us? By your Holy Spirit, would you even now be healing wounds that are still raw and open? Jesus, would you be bringing comfort where there's fear? Jesus, would you bring assurance when there's anxiety? Jesus, when there's a a stubbornness of heart because we've had to learn to protect ourselves because we don't believe that you will protect us, Lord, soften us again. That will be painful, but soften us again, Lord, that we would know your power. Holy Spirit, meet with us, we pray. We are weak, but you are strong. Some of you, you just want to be whispering prayers to God. This can be between you and God. That's okay. 
just whispering prayers to God of things that he's showing in your heart that he wants to heal. There's no formula here. There's no magic words. It's Christ who does it. He wants to meet with us. He is meeting with us. going to worship God we're going to come to him but we're not moving on from him and actually as we lift our eyes to Jesus as we honour him in a moment as we step into communion it is in these places that we find his healing actually we're just going to do communion now and then lead into that song because the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed that's how we lead into the communion reading as the night he was betrayed he took bread And he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take it in remembrance of me. Remember what I have done for you. And on the same way after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this, all of you, as often as you meet together. Where is the power of Christ? Well, he tells us the meal to come back to again and again to meet with him is in the meal of the cross. It's in the meal of death. But we do it to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. We join with him in suffering, but we also join with him in the power of the resurrection. Let's lift our eyes and worship God now.